Welcome to the podcast of Fellowship Church in Dallas, Pennsylvania. To find out more about Fellowship Church, visit fellowshipefc.org. Hi, well, welcome to the Fellowship Church podcast. My name is Tim Shear. I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship Church. And today I'm joined by our lead pastor, Mark Ramirez, and Jeremy Samick, who is senior counsel at PA Family. Uh, welcome, both of you. Glad to have you back here on the podcast. Thanks. Yep. Good to be here, Tim. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about the impact of the uh, Supreme Court's decision back in June, which overturned uh, Roe versus Wade. And so we're going to talk a little bit today about the impact of that and uh, what that looks like here in our state of Pennsylvania and what uh, we as a church can be doing and should be doing in response to that uh, decision. Because abortion is still a legal option in Pennsylvania uh, right now. So even though Roe versus Wade was overturned, um, I think maybe a common misconception that people have is that abortion is now, abortion is now illegal which is not true. Um, and Jeremy, I'm wondering, do you know what abortion totals look like post uh, Roe versus Wade? Have we seen a decline in abortions overall um, in the, in our country and in our state, or have we seen uh, more of a demand for abortion? So post Roe versus Wade or post Dobbs? Well, post Dobbs, post Dobbs. Okay. So, so the numbers aren't out yet for post-Dobbs. The, the most recent numbers that we have are from 2021. Uh, so okay. the 2022 numbers won't come out for a while yet. But in 2021, there was about 32,200 uh, 32, abortions in Pennsylvania. So that, that's about 91 abortions every single day in Pennsylvania wow. that are occurring. Um, and that doesn't include the Plan B so the over-the-counter uh, abortion medication plan B, that's not including abortions that um, are are committed um, using that medication. Back when Rovers Wade first went into effect, the numbers were drastically higher. Uh, they didn't have plan B, but they there were 65, 70,000 abortions a year at that time. And so the pro-life movement and churches started stepping up. Uh, pro-life legislators started stepping up and rolling uh, rolling protections in for the unborn, protections in for the mother. And that ended up reducing the amount of abortions that were occurring, especially at the later ages. So the church involvement, even from an early time, um, getting involved in the political process, uh, getting involved in creating pregnancy care centers, um, helping moms, helping young families, all of those things contributing contributed to reducing abortion. Um, but there's still uh, efforts to try to increase abortions and increase uh, the not only the time frame. So right now in Pennsylvania, abortion is legal for any reason up to six months. Uh, and that's still the law in Pennsylvania, even after Dobbs, um, because Dobbs didn't affect state laws on abortion. But they're trying to now they just they just the FDA just made it so that the uh, abortion pill that can kill a baby up to 12 weeks is now going to be dispensed at CVS pharmacies mm -hmm. and Walgreens pharmacies. And those those two uh, companies just said that they were going to um, carry those pills. And so 
you know, our, we have challenges ahead of us. Uh, the, the other side is continually trying to move that bar. In Pennsylvania last year, um, there were Democrats who put forward a bill to eliminate our current abortion control act, which in our perspective is very bad uh, at six months. And they want to eliminate that because they think it's bad in the opposite direction. They want to move legal abortions all the way to nine months. Right. Well, heartbreaking protections that were put into effect. Now, you're mentioning a lot of the the challenges that are there, but I think you brought out something that's important for, for Christians, for the church to know that things that we have been doing uh, since Roe versus Wade, 1973, establishing pregnancy care centers, uh, getting involved um, in what's happening in Washington. It has made a difference for the issue of uh, sanctity of human life. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So that that should tell us that we need to continue to do uh, what it is that we're called to do to care for the unborn, to care for the orphans. Uh, so that we can see abortion ended in the United States, in Pennsylvania. And I think that's something that we uh, we should look back at history, see how the church has made a positive impact, and use that uh, to continue to motivate us forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, for a lot of people, they get overwhelmed because it seems like a huge problem. And and they say, I'm only one person, or maybe I have a lot of kids already. And so what what can I do? Um, everybody, everybody has different gifts, just like in the church, we all have different gifts and we contribute in different ways. Um, but we should find a way to do something. And so with a, with a church body of 500 people or a thousand people or 200 people, um, there are people in the church who can adopt and there are people who could help support them in that adoption. There are people who can do foster care and there are people Mm -hmm. who can go and get, uh, qualified to be a respite care provider so they can help watch that foster care kid on the weekend uh, when the foster family can't for some reason or they have to leave the state for a vacation. Um, contributing to a pregnancy care center, volunteering at a pregnancy care center. We've also had some really, really uh, interesting developments in churches who've started programs to help to watch children for young mothers who are still in school. And what this has done when when a girl is in school, whether it's high school or college, one of the biggest pressures for her to to abort her child is that they want to finish school. And they may not have a parent who says, yeah, I'll help you. I'll watch my grandchild as you continue school. If they don't have that, then they kind of feel like they're stuck between either having an abortion or finishing their education. So there are churches around Pennsylvania who stepped up and said, we're going to we're going to provide free childcare. We have people in our churches that are empty nesters or stay at home mom that have extra capacity to help watch a kid while a high school girl continues to go to school. And school districts have passed policies to ensure that the flyers from those churches are put into the hands of kids who become pregnant in their schools. And so you're immediately eliminating probably the number one reason why uh, younger girls feel the pressure to abort because they want to finish their education which is at the end of the day better for that girl to have that education with that child because now they're going to be able to support that child even better if they have their high school diploma or if they have that college diploma now in pennsylvania there is uh, is it is it the law that they um if somebody is pregnant if a woman is pregnant and she's considering abortion she can't have an abortion immediately right isn't there a, like a 24-hour 
waiting period yeah. and they have to be provided with uh, education and um, opportunities to uh, choose different options other than abortion? Yeah. So there is a waiting period. Um, and the waiting period is very, very important. It's 24 hours and it's, it, it's, it doesn't seem like a long time. I mean, it really isn't. Uh, if you came door to door to buy a vacuum cleaner, uh, or if I came door to door to sell you a vacuum cleaner or a fire alarm system, you would have three days under Pennsylvania law to change your mind, right? Because there's lots of pressure when that guy's at your door selling you that vacuum cleaner or selling you that fire, uh, smoke detector system, but in Pennsylvania, we only give a mom who's going to make a decision that could potentially end a human life or not 24 hours. So it's a short amount of time, but that amount of time has enabled us to be able to step in and help moms who are being coerced and pressured to have abortions against their will um, to be able to go and file a file a, a lawsuit or to send a cease and desist order and then send that to the abortion clinics telling them if you do an abortion on this girl, it's not she she's not consenting to it. She's being coerced into it. And so they've come to the abortion clinic the next day and the abortion clinic has been forced to turn them away because we've been able to send a letter on the woman's behalf saying, hey, I'm being pressured to do this against my will. And so that waiting period is tremendously important. And we can't there's stories after stories of women who've made that initial choice. Yeah, I'm going to go through with an abortion and then change it. Um, it also, I think. There's an abortion uh, reversal pill that when they take that initial uh, drug to try to eliminate the baby, when you're it's a two drug um, regimen, there's an abortion reversal pill that if between that first one and that second one, if they take it, it adds back in your natural um, hormones in your body that will keep the baby alive. Wow. And so there's an effort in Pennsylvania by, by um, some of the Democrats, I think it's in the House, to eliminate, uh, to make illegal, <laughs> giving that that pill that saves lives, that's really just stopping the unnatural blocking of hormones and putting back right the, the natural hormone level. Um, completely safe, uh, doesn't cause any any harm, but they're trying to eliminate that. Hmm. And so it's you know it's a battle out there uh, for human life. It's a it's a battle about the dignity of life because at the end of the day. You would think reasonable people, even people who are, who believe in abortion, and there are a lot of people who, who I think lay people who would look at this and say, well, what's the big deal? Why not let them do that if that's their choice to reverse it? Um, but the people in the in the abortion lobby and the abortion industry have a vested interest in making sure that the unborn child is dehumanized at every single step. So last session we had a bill um, that passed in the House and Senate. It didn't go pass the governor because he would veto it, but would just simply say when a, a baby is aborted um, that the mom is going to be given an option to either bury or cremate. The same that we would do with any other human being, uh, a homeless person found dead. That's what we're going to do with them too, because we respect the dignity of that human being's life. And the opposition was so opposed to it because they wanted to still be able to put that baby in the trash because they have a vested interest in keeping the dehumanization of the unborn. So it's very sad stuff. It sure is. Now I want to talk about some of the bills in Pennsylvania and um, some of the, the uh, bills that we have uh, federally uh, that I think point to the, the fact that uh, the, the unborn child is 
a human being. But before we get there, I want to uh, just go back because you brought up Dobbs. And I think, I, I mean, people are, are aware of this, but I think there might be some uh, some misconceptions around the overturning of Roe versus Wade that Supreme Court went uh, and revisited Roe and uh, changed their mind, which was not the case. There was the Dobbs versus Jackson's Jackson Women's Health uh, and that was that started in Mississippi and right, right, right. Um, and that really was the catalyst to overturn Roe versus Wade. So can you talk a little bit about that? And then I also want to know, are there other cases that have been thrown out or reversed as a result of uh, the Dobbs ruling? So so what happened and we'll go back to just 1972 with Roe versus Wade um, states are around our country, most of them uh, had laws that prohibited abortion um, and all of them protected uh, having early deliveries, even when it would result in the death of the child, if it, if it would result in the death of the mom, if you didn't do it. So they protected situations where the mom's life was at risk. Um, so you could have an abortion. Um, I'm going to put that in, in air quotes. Um, but you could have an abortion if the mom's life was in danger, if you didn't have that abortion. And really, that's an early delivery, knowing, hey, if we're going to cause this early delivery at 10 weeks, we know the baby is not going to survive. But we're not doing it in order to kill the baby. We're doing it in order to save the mom. So that's not really an abortion in the sense that we most of us understand it. But in 1972, um, the Supreme Court ruled that every state has to allow abortion. And so that was something that, number one, not in the Constitution. The Constitution says nothing of the sort. Um, they discounted the right of the unborn. So lots of lots of problems with that. Even legal analysts on the left who are pro-abortion um, had recognized that for decades, that that decision was very poor. Um, fast forward to the 90s was the next time that the Supreme Court really had an opportunity to look clearly at that case. And what they did there was upheld this requirement that every state allow abortion, but they permitted, and this was a state of Pennsylvania case, they permitted some of the regulations that were put on it. So Pennsylvania rolled it back from being just whenever you want to have an abortion back to nine to, to six months, uh, parental notification requirements, uh, waiting period requirements, things like that. So it was a it was a good result moving in the right direction, except for the fact that for 30 more years, it enshrined abortion in our constitution when it didn't belong there. So now fast forward to this, to two years ago, Mississippi passed a law that um, prohibited abortions past about 14 weeks. So they could have an abortion for any reason up to 14. Um, that was an earlier time frame than our U.S. Supreme Court had permitted um, a, or any other district court had permitted abortions. And so the, the court in that case correctly said Rovers, Wade, and Casey was wrongly decided from the start. There is no right to kill an unborn baby in our Constitution. It's simply silent on that. And so, great decision. Um, it would have been nice if they went farther and recognized uh, the humanity of the unborn and protected them. Um, but what that's done now is it kicks it to every individual state. And so now, the second part of your question, what are the other cases that have popped up? These are really the, the state Supreme Courts. Mm -hmm. um, the 
pro-abortion lobby has been, has sort of recognized that that Roe versus Wade and Casey versus Planned Parenthood was on shaky ground for a while. And so they started going around to state Supreme Courts and, and state court systems and filing cases, trying to get their state Supreme Courts to invent rights to abortion in their constitution. And some of them have in the past. Um, and now that effort is going to be is a hyperdrive because states that had abortion regulations in 1972, those regulations went back into effect if they hadn't changed it during that 50 year time frame. Other states, uh, Texas, Louisiana, and a number of others who've, as soon as Dobbs happened, they changed their abortion laws. Um, people were filing state court actions there. In Pennsylvania, we just had a, a Supreme Court argument on our law that says that we won't use state taxpayer funding for abortions. And so the abortion industry in Pennsylvania filed a lawsuit saying, we think that's unconstitutional. We think that state taxpayers should be required by our state constitution to pay for abortion. Our state constitution says nothing of the sort, but that's their argument. Um, so that's really where the battles are going to be in mm -hmm. our state courts and in the halls of our state legislature. Now, before we get to the state, because I know there are a couple bills that um, that say there's no constitutional right for taxpayers to pay for abortions. Uh, there's at least two that I'm aware of. But going back to the the <clears throat> the topic of the unborn child being uh, a human, um, there there was a bill that was introduced uh, back in the fall by uh, Lindsey Graham. Um, to amend uh, amend a title um, in the in the code to protect uh, unborn children who can feel pain. Um, can you explain a little bit about that bill and um, yeah what what chances there are for that bill to pass and um, what that could look like for uh, so, for abortion? Yep, absolutely. So Lindsey Graham is a is a is a federal. Legislate. So he's the senator from South Carolina. So this would be a federal law. Right. Um, and so the chances of that passing are zero because <laughs> Joe Biden is our is the president and the Senate is still controlled by Democrats. And so that that bill is not going to go anywhere. What that bill essentially would do is just move the legal limit in all states to 15 weeks. So in Pennsylvania, that would mean we would go from 24 to 15 um, in other states like Texas and Ohio, Ohio has a heartbeat bill. Um, Texas is even further back than that. Uh, they would still be able to have their line drawn earlier. So that would be nice. And that would provide some protections for those states that provide abortion all the way up to nine months, like Oregon and Vermont and California and places like that. But that bill is probably not going anywhere um, for the time being. Uh but we we have in Pennsylvania. Um, well, did you want to did you want to go and talk about the taxpayer funding stuff, or, or we could talk? Yeah, about let's let's about let's talk let's talk about that. Yeah. Okay. So so in Pennsylvania last session, there was a there was a bill passed in the House and Senate that would amend our constitution to prohibit taxpayer funding for abortion, um, and essentially to keep the status quo that there's no right to abortion or Pennsylvania state constitution. So our legislative uh, system would stay the same. And that passed. And that didn't have to get the, the governor's signature. That would have to pass again in the House and Senate this session. 
And if it did, then it would go to the ballot where the people would vote on it. It's probably not going to happen because the House, um, they they redistrict uh, the districts in the House mm-hmm. races, the House in Pennsylvania and the Senate. And it was very beneficial to the Democrats. Um, there are some things done. We won't get into that topic, but it made it so that there was going to be more Democrats elected. And there were two Republicans in, in neighboring districts who then were in the same district. And so you basically eliminated one or the other. Um, and so now we have a very, we have about a hunt. It's, it's like a one or two person difference. And there's three races that are still not decided because one person died and two people got elected to different positions. And so those are open seats. And so there's going to be elections, but they're in Democrat favored areas. So it's likely that Democrats are going to be in control of the house. So that amendment is pretty much dead on arrival. It's probably not going to happen. So in Pennsylvania, we had before Rover Wade was overturned, um, there would be lots of pro-life bills. There were Down syndrome bills to protect uh, kids from being aborted solely because they had been diagnosed with Down syndrome. Um, bills to move it from 24 weeks to 20 weeks or bills to, to stop dismemberment abortions um, or partial birth abortions. So we, we always had pro-life bills and usually there was a few of them. Um, the, the beautiful thing that we have now is we actually have the ability to keep moving the line back but it's going to require more education um, on our part uh, as pastors, as we talk to the lay people in the church, as our lay people are, are at work or at school in informing other people. Because most people believe whenever they think about Roe versus Wade or abortion in generally, they usually think in terms of what is my favorite exception, right? I want abortion to be legal because I don't want somebody to die because they can't get an abortion. Or some people would say, I don't want somebody to have to to be raped and then have to carry through with that pregnancy. But everybody has these little these lines in their head. Um, Now we get to actually have not just an academic discussion about where those lines should be, but we get to have real world discussions because the legislature now has the authority to draw those lines. And so the, the statistics are really interesting. If you ask somebody. Do you support Roe versus Wade or abortion generally? Uh, people who identify as pro-choice say yes. Um, even people who identify as pro-life sometimes say yes, but I have a couple exceptions, a couple extenuating circumstances. When you really drill down, even the majority of pro-choice people who identify themselves as pro-choice do not think that abortion should be legal up to six months. Most of them uh and these are pro-choice, self-identifying pro-choice people believe that abortion shouldn't be legal um, past 12 weeks, past three months. Three months is a long time. And so for people, even in the pro-choice side of the ledger, believe that we shouldn't be killing babies after three months. So there's lots of room to be able to educate people about that. The The rape issue is a very good one for education as well. Um, when you talk to people, and they understand what services are available out there for women um, who are put in that situation, the very small minority that would actually become pregnant from rape. And the fact that we shouldn't be um, penalizing essentially an innocent party for the sins or the crime of somebody else, people start to understand that as they meet people who are are, uh, the result of their mother being raped. And they understand, you know what, that person has no less value than I have. 
um, that education process. And it may be slow. It may be uh, something that gradually we work just like when Rivers Wade, we had nine month abortion, but we've removed that back to six months. And now we can continue to move it back. It might be a, a gradual process, the same same way it was gradual in eliminating slavery in our country. Um, but the educational um, piece is so much more important now because it's not just an academic exercise anymore because Rovers Wade isn't there blocking um, our ability to actually draw real lines. Now people who, whether you're pro-choice or, or say you're pro-choice or pro-life, now you actually get to really wrestle with where should we draw these lines. Yeah, and I think a lot of those, <clears throat> I guess a lot of those hypotheticals um, that, that people have when you can see how that plays out in the real world and put a face to to some of those uh, those cases where maybe the mother was raped and the child was born and you can see uh, the, the value and the dignity that that person has. And then you consider even in Pastor Mark, maybe you want to speak to this a little bit, that with each, each person that uh, comes into this world, God has a plan for them. And we don't, we don't and shouldn't pretend to know what that plan is or say that one life is more important than another life because they were uh, conceived in this way. Uh, Pastor Mark, you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think that's been part of the, you know, the education that we've been uh, trying to give to people is just the value of human life in general and just not making a determination on the value of someone's life uh, for whatever, for various uh, reasons. Um, I, I think, um, you know, just listening, you know, to Jeremy and a lot of the information that he's sharing, some of the things that that have been coming to my mind, um, one is that um, even within the Christian community, in the church, there isn't necessarily a um, united front in how to approach the issue of abortion. Um, and so I think that's, you know, from a pastoral, maybe this is a little bit more pastoral as opposed to legislative, um, that that has been, uh, I, I think, a challenge because some of the things you're talking about, Jeremy, would be considered by some to be incremental and incremental for some, they, in, in conversations I've had, will um, interpret incremental as we're okay with some babies being murdered and others not. And um, I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just saying that's part of, I think, the challenge that we have in, in, in this battle um, is that there's there's not necessarily just this uh united front in and which is what we need mm -hmm. to battle what we're battling um and i'm sure that's something you're familiar with and um and i know that's something that even we as a church when we're trying to um promote the sanctity of human life to uh, to the church and to our congregation that that those differences exist. And so now it's a matter of, okay, we agree with that, but how are we going about uh, the task of keeping human life, um, keeping that, that sanctity uh, true? And, and, and for some it's, well, it 
that means we ab- we abolish abortion. And if we're not seeking to do that, if we're just seeking to make incremental uh, progress on you know uh, weeks here and there, then that's they would see that as part of the issue um, that we're having. And so, I I I would I would my, myself personally I would see the uh, I would see those uh, steps as progress as never ever saying that we're okay with that ever happening but i think i think part of the pro- part of the problem is you understand really well how the legislative process works and this is where a lot of this battle is is happening and and this is kind of how it's done uh legislatively uh i think you just explained that well in what you previously said but I, I guess I'm just kind of given some of the some of the narrative behind what some of the challenges are in the church and even among Christians who are already on board with, I believe, in the sanctity of human life. So that we've already crossed that bridge. And that's not even dealing with the ones that you were just talking about earlier, which are which would be considered pro-choice. Right. So it's it's you know, I don't I don't know if you want to speak to that, but I know that that's definitively a challenge. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think now it's going to be even more. So the people in the legislature, they understand, hey, look, you ha- sometimes you have to move incrementally. Sometimes you can do broad swaths depending on what state you're in, um, what actually can be done and what can't be done based on the makeup of your legislature. But with the people in the church, um, making sure that they understand, because there's people in the church who um, – who believe that, look, we should just abolish abortion outright, just have a bill, vote on it, send it up every single time. And that's what we should do. There's others who are sitting in churches uh, across our state who they are thinking, well, I'm pro-choice, but hey, there's this or there's that, or what about that? Or I don't think we should vote for pro-life bills because it's going to result in all of these women dying because, and women will go to jail if they're having a miscarriage. Those are lies. Those are down. Those are just outright lies. But they're things that are being circulated out there. If you have an ectopic pregnancy, uh, an ectopic pregnancy where it's it's stuck in or implanted in the fallopian tubes, and the the mom will die if you don't if you don't take care of that. That's not an abortion. Uh, Planned Parenthood themselves has even said that that's not an abortion. But yet, over this last election cycle, right after Dobbs was overturned. There was a huge misinformation campaign out there to say that women are going to go to jail if they have an ectopic pregnancy that is removed that saves the, the mother's life. So we have to be able to to take those types of things and make sure that people understand um, a little bit new of the nuance here on on those type of issues, uh, because even somebody who is pro-life can be dissuaded by these lies that people, women will be thrown in jail. There's not a single state law in our country that criminalizes um, abortion that would throw a woman in jail for doing it. It's, it's uh, a regulation that prohibits the doctors and the nurses from performing abortions. And so these kind of things, even for the people in the church are important to, to let them know. And then as far as the incremental debate versus let's just do this all at one swath. I'm, I think the I think the best step is what I think you're already doing, and what you said was we need to talk about the value of human life, and this is a human being. That's that's ground floor. We need to all have agreement there. 
And so where we go from there, um, we can talk by way of analogy about what's the best thing to do. But ultimately, God is sovereign. We all need to work towards that day that abortion is unthinkable and and illegal. Um, but that requires changing hearts, too, and legislation. It's both. It's not one or the other. Um, and I think we we do a disservice when we when people sort of say it's one or the other. And usually it's whatever world we're in. We're usually pointing at the other one saying it should be the other one. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, because it takes pressure off of us in whatever world we happen to be sitting in. But I think um, as as let's let's give an example of, of racism and slavery. Uh, our country started and we had slavery in this country and it didn't go away overnight. Racism doesn't go away overnight. Um, those things are they take they take legislation changes. They take heart changes and both of them feed into the other. And so as the church, we need to be working towards that day. Um but being willing to uh, to to be used by God in whatever way that we can in the place that we are. If we live in Babylon, what we're going to be able to accomplish is going to be very different than what we can accomplish if we live in Israel. What we can accomplish in Texas is going to be different than what we can accomplish if we live in California. But our objective is the same, to glorify God and to protect human life um, in at, and, and as we go, we're going to have individual relationships with people and work on those heart changes to the individuals. And those are going to feed into the, the legislative changes. But we need to be voting for the right people who are going to be working towards pushing it backwards. So yeah. oh, go, go ahead, Tim. I, I was um, just going to ask a question, but go ahead. I, I wanted to go back to what uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, Jeremy, about the previous election cycle, because um it was quite a, a a surprise. Maybe it shouldn't have been a surprise to me, but it was at least to the degree that um, to the de- to the degree that abortion and the right to have an abortion played in um, in advocating for the vote of you know of, of Pennsylvanians. Um, and if you didn't vote for this, like you said. Uh, women are going to be dying and you know uh all, all of these things that that seemed to me to be common sense not these are not they're not going to happen they're not true but um i mean i think from at least what i've heard it seems it seemed to have worked i mean they, the abortion became the issue even after dobbs which was uh really unbelievable to think that after that, you'd have this success, and then you end up with, um, you know, not necessarily having the success. So I, I, I just, I just wonder what that says about. I don't know. I don't know what that says about either the uh, uh, the, the the culture at large, or um, the church at large, or or just uh, legis- our, our legislators, um, because. It, it seems still that statistically speaking, most people do not support uh, abortion on demand for any reason, generally speaking. Right. But you wouldn't know that by what's happening in legislation 
and by watching the previous election cycle and how that was run. And so that's where that that dichotomy is hard to uh, evaluate and, and just understand and then properly respond to. And I think part of the purpose of what we're doing today and talking about this is part of our effort as a church to bring these issues to the forefront to our church in the effort uh, for the sanctity of human life. But it's also to not to try to understand, okay, here's what's happening in our world. Here's what's happening culturally. How then we understand the biblical principles. We've made those things, those things clear. How are we to respond now in 2023 going forward with all that is happening? Uh, And I think that's been, that's been the hard part. Yeah. Yeah. That's certainly a struggle. I think the, the, the first point when you're, when you have a huge victory, like we just had um, with Dobbs being overturned, the other side is necessarily they're going to be uh, in, they're in the corner and they're fighting for their ability to kill lives. They're not fighting for their life. They're fighting for their ability to kill lives, but they're still fighting hard. And so I think the phenomenon that we saw is they threw out everything that they possibly could in every place that they possibly could. And that included just straight out lying about things. Um, none of the bills that have ever been introduced have criminalized or ever even been passed into law, certainly, uh, criminalizes women or throws women in jail, even before reverse Wade, that wasn't happening. Certainly not happening now. Um, but yet media were reporting people saying things like that as if it was true when it was clearly not if they looked at the legislation. Um, but yet they would just do that without being checked. And so we have we have a media problem. Um <laughs> There's good media out there. There's good podcasts out there. Uh, but generally, most people aren't reading those sorts of things. And if they are, they're reading headlines. And so one of the headlines we talked about, Senator Graham's bill, uh, federal abortion ban. That's a headline talking about his bill that would just move the limit to 15 weeks, which is like three and a half months, by the way, which is more than most pro-choice people even want. So that's actually, if you look at Europe, most of their abortion laws, uh, the vast majority are between 12 and 15 weeks. So what Mississippi did and what Senator Graham's bill would do actually puts the line where most European nations are and where most even pro-choice people would draw the line. But they wouldn't know that. All they see is a headline that says federal abortion ban by a Republican from South Carolina. And what does that tell them? That says, oh, gee, my wife had a ectopic pregnancy and I guess she would be thrown in jail or die. So I guess I should be opposed to that. So there's a huge disconnect between the truth and what's actually happening. So it's going to it's incumbent on us to to. I think it's helpful to to look at it and say people are being catechized into lots of different things. And abortion is no different. They're being catechized by media, by education by their friends, by social media. And when it comes to this particular issue, it's incumbent as us on Christians living in America in 2023 um, to add more meat on the bones of this particular topic. Just as in 1830 in the United States, it it was incumbent on Christians at that time to provide more meat on the bones and catechism and uh, education about what's going on on the slavery issue. Uh, and so when we're when we have when we have uh, this this mountain 
where the where the media is sort of skewed against us when it comes to this, and you're coming off of a huge win where the other side then is is fighting for their right their their ability to kill life. This the 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 cards are stacked against us for a little while, and that was to be expected. Um, but as that dust settles, and as we have more opportunity to clear the air and explain what the truth is, I'm pretty confident that we win there. I'm pretty confident that the people in our church are going to say, ah, I'm hearing this from this media or my friend at the water cooler, but I know that I've heard from a podcast or I've heard from my pastor. I've heard from our small group leader that no abortion law has ever criminalized women. And certainly none of them do now. I've heard that if your life is in danger, no abortion law has or is going to prevent those type of um, that type of care from occurring because that's not intending to kill the child. That may be delivering the child early to save the life of the mother at a time where the baby may not be able to survive, but that's not an intentional killing of an unborn life. So understanding the differences between those, and then they can have really good conversations about the other topics like rape. How does that play into people's emotions? Um, but when you can have good conversations about those, you get to build on those. And I think then we start seeing those hard changes. But ha having the having the media against us is hard. It's daunting. Um, but that just unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, creates more of a prerogative for us to have to to step up and fill those gaps and, and to fix that misinformation. So what then can we uh, as Christians do practically? Because we can we can know the truth. We can teach our people uh, what is true and how to discern uh, between truth and lies that they might hear in the media. And of course, we can vote. But what are things that we can do practically right now um, to help fight for the sanctity of life? So um, I think the first thing that I always tell people in this is to pray. I think that's the, the very first thing. Um, and specifically to pray for where God would have us as an individual or as a family or as a church uh, plug in. Um I think that's step one. Step two is to constantly remind yourselves and ourselves that we don't have to change the entire world. We don't have to, to solve this all by ourselves. We're a piece of the puzzle and we just need to find where God would have us to play that piece. Because I think a lot of times people get overwhelmed. Um, people who get involved in these tough issues feel overwhelmed and they feel like they're the only one out there doing it or they're, they're out there doing it well and they're being attacked by even fellow believers. And, and so it gets frustrating and just to say, you know, I'm going to do what I can, but I'm not going to overwhelm myself and feel like this responsibility is on me because God is sovereign, right? Yeah. When he wants, yeah. when, when it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And so, and then as part of that, to remind ourselves that we may not see the fruit of our labor. Um, we may not get to see uh, the end result. Thank God a lot of us have got to see the end of reverse Wade. That was something that when when I started my career, that's, that was one of my things that I really wanted to see. And how blessed are we to be able to see that? Um, there's a lot of people in the pro-life community that didn't get to see that. So um, the fact that we don't see the results immediately doesn't mean that we're not having an effect. And so, and then from there, the practical things, I think voting huge, 
contacting your state representatives and senators to throughout in between the votes and saying, hey, I want to let you know I'm praying for you. Um, stay aware of what kind of pro-life bills are out there and say, hey, keep moving it back. Keep moving it back. Keep keep working to to protect life. Um, let them know that that's what their constituents are thinking about. Um, information, obviously, when we learn things, make sure we're circulating that to others because there's a lot of people that just don't pay attention. Um, even people in the church or even family members who are, are pro-life, but they just aren't that this isn't an issue or they're constantly keeping up, up to date on. And so they're more susceptible to, to believing uh, lies that are being circulated by articles or by headlines. Um, find ways that we can get involved personally. So we talked about you could volunteer at a pregnancy care center, donate to a pregnancy care center. Um, you can get involved with providing some child care for somebody who's who's going to school when they find themselves pregnant volunteer to do child care for somebody who is fostering. You may not be able to do foster care, but you may be able to help a family who is doing foster care. Uh, another bit of misinformation that people, I, I just learned this one myself over the past two years. There's a lot of, of, of women, girls who, um, who become pregnant, who are scared of the idea of placing their child for adoption because they, their understanding of adoption is that you get put in the foster care system which is not true. Um, if, a, if a woman puts her child, uh, places her child for adoption, they don't go into the foster care system. It's totally different. But sometimes they themselves have been in the foster care system and had a bad experience. And so in their mind, they're thinking, gee, I would rather have an abortion than put my baby into the foster care system. And so clearing that misconception has, is a pretty important one as well. Um, getting involved with your church, uh, whatever pro-life uh, group that they may have or to bring in speakers to come in and talk. Um, those things are all, all very, very beneficial and helpful. Uh, Jeremy, could I, if I could ask a question on the adoption uh, point you made, um, I've often felt like the, uh, the, the whole, the whole process of adoption and the way that it is, uh, the way that it's, I guess, legislatively handled does not encourage adoption. It it makes it's difficult. Um, the whole process is difficult and very expensive. Is part of the pro life movement, um, or is there an effort um, being made, or um, and 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 if so, has there been progress in simply? detaching maybe if you will adoption from abortion and just saying what can we do to make adoption more uh just uh, readily available and um and easier for people uh in, instead of instead of actually funding for example uh tax dollars for abortion how about funding families who want to bring a child into their family and making that actually financially more doable for them as opposed to making it something only um you know people who have the financial means can you know can can actually make happen yeah has has there been has there been efforts made there legislatively uh i, I just i maybe maybe so i'm just not aware of it there there has been um and some of them are already in place believe it or not so here's so i i myself have adopted um and the there's some misconceptions about it if you're adopting internationally, um, 
there's it's certainly going to be more expensive. Um, if you're adopting in from the U.S. through the foster care system, it's actually going you can get paid to do it. So those are like two ends of the spectrum. Um, if you had a, a woman and I have a friend who there's a woman at their church who became pregnant. She was a young, a younger one, not married and maybe in her twenties, early twenties. And there was a family in the church who adopted the child and it was very inexpensive. Um, there you're talking paperwork, a uh, little bit of attorney's fees, but it's very, very inexpensive and you have um, tax write-offs and things like that. And so the, certainly there are costs, um, but it's not as daunting as some people believe it to be. It can be, um, it can be depending on the type, but there are, there are, there are ways to do it. And so when it comes to the, the adoption for somebody who is just, I'm considering abortion and I, but I don't want to have an abortion and I'm, I'm willing to place my child for adoption. Those kind of, those kind of adoptions are actually relatively cheap. Um, and can be done relatively easily. So I think that international adoptions sometimes um, muddy the water as far as the, the costs are concerned. Um, but those are those are costs that there are resources available from the government. There's certainly grants available for private organizations. Um, and I know churches surround people and help them whenever people are going through those type of adoptions as well. So so demystifying that process is really good. So one of the things I've seen in some churches that they'll have groups of people who have adopted from all the different uh, avenues. So you say, hey, if you're considering adoption, we have a group of people in this church who are willing to talk with you about their experience and mm-hmm. what they've learned or attorneys who are in the church who can direct you to good places to go. So providing those avenues that that. Now they're not just shutting down on the conversation saying, gee, I don't want to, I know adoption is expensive. So let's not consider that we don't have the money. Uh, When my wife and I adopted, we, we didn't have the money either. (laughs) Most people don't, but we found ways to do a couple fundraisers. You buy a hundred dollar TV, you sell a raffle, raffle tickets for the TV and you make $500. So there's those kind of things. And then grants that were out there, we actually refinanced our house and took some money out and was able to do it. So there's, there's ways that people can do it who want to. Um, the other thing that I find very helpful about when churches do that is that you have uh, the parents who've, who've done it love to talk with them, but it's sometimes hard to get those connected. So it gets people to know. There's also, particularly for foster care, there's a lot of, that's difficult. Foster care can be difficult um, for lots of reasons, but when somebody is able to sit down and talk with somebody who is doing it, or has done it. Um, we have the daughter, the daughter that we adopted has down syndrome. And so some growing up, my wife really never knew anybody with down syndrome, but I did. And so when we were coming into that, my perspective was very different than hers because I knew, some, I knew some people who had down syndrome. So it wasn't as big of a deal. It wasn't as many unknowns for me. And so anytime you're able to have those conversations with people who have been there and done that, um, especially when they're fellow believers who understand uh, the heart behind it, it can be a a huge benefit. And you'll see an influx of people who were hesitant and maybe would have just said, yeah, let's not consider it because cost, or let's not consider it because sounds difficult to, to give a child back to their parent eventually. Um, 
those stumbling blocks start to be removed. Yeah, that's that's great encouragement. We have a number of families in our church uh, who have uh, fostered and have adopted. So if if we have people that are listening right now and are considering that, we have uh, a good number of people that could be a, a resource and an encouragement to them. Um, so thank you for for sharing that. I think those are some some good practical ways that we can be advocates for life. Uh, Pastor Mark, do you have any closing thoughts on any of these? Um, I, well, I just want to say thank you to Jeremy. I appreciate you, uh, taking time to help us be better informed. Um, and again, as, as Tim already mentioned, you know, this is one of the ways that we are trying as a church to, uh, inform our, our congregation and even beyond our congregation, uh, with, with the use of, of the podcast. Um, and, uh, and so we, you know, we appreciate any, continued um ideas or thoughts that you have um and uh or you know or kurt or anybody from you know from pa family um mm-hmm. because we see you know we see what's happening in our world and specifically in our state um you know we just we just had an election cycle where we we voted in a a governor who's made it pretty clear where he stands on abortion and it's not to prevent it in any way but advance it um Mm -hmm. and then a senator um who is doing the same so it's not not that those aren't necessarily encouraging encouraging things um but um it's just under you know helping us understand how to how to respond to those things and do the things um that we need to do as a church and and i think you know in our church uh, specifically we have a lot of people here who are very passionate uh about this and and want uh, have very much the same desires as 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 we do, but you're right. They they feel overwhelmed and don't know exactly what to do, um, and um, and so we are trying to find ways to help them to uh, you know to point those passions in the right in the right way and use that energy in the, in a God glorifying way and um, in the most efficient way possible. So so thanks. Yes, thank you very much, Jeremy. Thank you for all the work that you're doing uh, with PA family and uh, just to be a voice for the voiceless here um, in our state and, and throughout our country. Uh, Jeremy, if somebody wants more information about how they can get involved uh, to learn more about what PA family is doing or just to uh, take steps towards some of the things that we're talking about, uh, what, what is the best way that they can do that? Yeah, if you go to pafamily.org, so it's pafamily.org, and we have uh, a bunch of resources on there. You can find, you can sign up for email updates to see when legislation is moving forward on, on the life issue, on religious liberty issues, on on family values issues. Uh, you can register to vote. You can find out who your state representative and senator is, so that whenever these bills are moving forward, um, you can send them a quick email. It takes a minute and thirty seconds. Uh, the email is already pre pre written for you, and you can modify it. Um, but makes it really easy to just reach out to them. And it makes a big difference uh, for them to hear from people, uh, especially people from within the church. That's great. Yeah, it sounds like you have some valuable tools there. So I'd encourage our listeners to check out pafamily.org for that. Jeremy, thank you again. Pastor Mark, thank you for joining us today for our podcast. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon.